Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome once again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 44. Man, oh man, oh man. I'm excited to bring you this interview. This is Brandon Mendenhall and Sebastian Paquette. He's French, but uh, Brandon is so inspirational. This is about a documentary called Mind Over Matter. And I'm so, so excited to bring it to you. Before I talk about that, I want to remind you as usual, you are priceless. Brandon's going to remind you that as well in this interview with his excellent story. You are worth more than all the riches, all the problems, all the things I always say. I just want to remind you of it all the time. You are priceless. As a human being, your potential is way above and beyond what probably any of us really realize at any point. We take this for granted. You are priceless and you're also never alone. Don't forget that. Reach out to me. Reach out to others. Reach out to your neighbors, family, friends, coworkers, all sorts of people there to help support and love you. So don't fall into this lie, this trap that you are alone because you absolutely are not. You are priceless and you're never alone. Talking about Brandon here, he's got this documentary, became good friends kind of in a haphazard way with Sebastian some years ago. It's been about five years from what they tell me. And they put together this documentary about his life. He has cerebral palsy. He was born with this situation and uh, he sustained an injury at birth with the cord getting wrapped around his neck. The left side of his body wasn't quite working right for him. His left hand was basically paralyzed as well as part of that. Now, I'm not going to give away all the film. But he fought through and found uh, inspiration in music. And then against all odds, my friends, he picked up and began playing the guitar. I mean, many of you have heard the story of how everyone thought uh, human beings couldn't run a mile faster than four minutes. Some of us have heard this multiple times. In 1954, after all these people's now, it's just humanly impossible. Roger Bannister, who, God rest his soul, he died last year as of the recording of this, less than a year ago. He was 88 years old, I believe. But in 1954, he probably wasn't running quite as fast in his later years. I hope he was. <laughs> I digress. He broke the four-minute mile, barely. It was like 359.4 is what he did, and he broke the four-minute mile. And guess what? The craziest part of that, in my opinion, is in the weeks and months after that, a whole bunch of people started breaking this four-minute mile barrier because it was a mental barrier. And Brandon is a huge example of this whole thing. He played guitar. His hand was basically paralyzed. And he has this amazing music. Now, whether you're into rock music or not, I don't care. You don't need to be, and I don't mean to... Uh, disparage any of your musical interests this is a guy this is a story about overcoming this film is called mind over matter as already mentioned go to mindovermatterfilm.com pre-order your copy i would suggest get the dvd copy because what they tell me in this uh, interview is uh, you can have all these extra special features and stuff but there's other uh, versions as well that you can get and stream and so on and so forth but i kind of want brandon mendenall here to be a roger bannister of sorts for all of us in these uh, more modern times, and any living with any sort of disability, especially whatever that might be, whether it came from birth or some illness or some injury, uh, all the other sorts of things that happen. There are so many people living with disabilities, and I want you to know that you especially are priceless, and your stories mean so much. Rise, rise, my friends, and we're here to love, support, and help you, and let's rethink how we look at and treat, especially people with disabilities, and especially what we teach our kids about how to respond to and treat people who are different or who have disabilities. I could say so much more here. I want to remind you, as always, we're sponsored by Audible. I've been listening to all kinds of books. You've heard this from me before. I did over 60 books in uh, 2018, and I've set myself some more goals for this year. Just been listening to some stuff by Zig Ziglar. 
God rest his soul as well. He died in 2012. Loved the guy. Probably in the top three uh, public speakers ever, to be quite frank with you. <laughs> I love this guy and all kinds of great material there, uh, books and audio programs that he put out over the years. Look for Zig Ziglar. Look for all kinds of things, fiction, nonfiction, biographies. Go to audibletrial.com slash empowerhumans. That's audibletrial.com slash empowerhumans. Find uh, whatever you're looking for there and, and then some and uh, get your free, free they offer for our listeners a free audiobook there, so we have no excuses. Study all the things that we always say. Make great moments in your life. Study, and let's keep doing this podcast together. Let's get in this interview. I'm so excited to bring it to you. So without further ado, here's our interview with Brandon Mendenhall and Sebastian Paquette. I was privileged to watch this film. What a great film, you guys, this uh, Mind Over Matter, which I love the phrase Mind Over Matter to begin with. And uh, Brandon, I love your story, and I think it's very eye-opening for all of us as we, uh, most of us haven't experienced what you've gone through, which is why it's such a unique story too. And I, and I think it's great to open people's eyes to that experience. So what I want to go over is, is kind of a, a kind of whole broad spectrum of things, if you guys don't mind, which uh, includes some of the uh, background of where you started, the whole musical influences, how that all came about. Some of the things with your grandfather, if you don't mind as well. <laughs> and oh no and uh and it's, it's, yeah and, and some of the other things along the way ups and downs you've experienced as well as the filmmaking process i know sebastian you're part of the production directing of the movie uh the the sorry. documentary so uh brandon now tell me a bit about your background uh in terms of you were born i remember the film said 1983 right and what was some of the circumstances of that what happened my my biological mother was and her last year of high school, and kind of hooking up with this guy, and uh, I think the guy was older than she was, and then, of course, she got pregnant and realized, like, number one, she had to finish school, and number two, she now has a child to take care of, and, mm -hmm. and on top of it, she's a diabetic, so dealing with the diabetes, and taking mm -hmm. care of a baby and being being in high school and so on and so forth, it was it was a lot for her. So what happened was, is her her parents came in and adopted me and kind of raised me as their own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I grew up with with them, my grandparents being my parents primarily. Okay. Okay, I appreciate you explaining that. Now, you have, I hate the word disability, but because especially for a guy like you, you've taken and turned this into a major inspirational story for all the rest of us. But tell me a little bit about that part of things as well, if you don't mind. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I was born with cerebral palsy, and, and like in the movie, I, I said, you know, the cord was wrapped around my neck, which caused the condition, and and I, I don't know, it's, uh, it's, growing up with a disability is, there's no, there's no manual for it. There's right. no, we just kind of figured out, figured it all out as we, we went along and I was bullied and picked on and pushed around and, and kind of typecasting and 
all kinds of things by, you know, everybody around me, the neighborhood kids, my mm-hmm. my own family didn't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Back then, it was very common that, like, if you had a disability, you were just kind of typecasted as being retarded and and especially with the the speech impediment people people very easily group you in that category and and that's kind of the things that I went through but mm-hmm. through all of it I, I think I always lived with the, the attitude of I'm gonna live my life like this disability does not exist. It doesn't define who I am as a person. And I, I would another thing I would always tell people like, you know, I'm living with this and I don't have a problem with it. You know, and if I can get over it, why can't you? Yeah. 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 And I appreciate that perspective. <laughs> I mean, I look at the film here, and I was kind of moved uh, about to tears watching some of your story as a kid, because uh, kids go through all kinds of different things, uh, whatever that might be, uh, abuse and all sorts of things. Yours is a very unique case in that this is something, abuse is the same thing too, where it wasn't your fault. You just were born, and this injury took place when you were born that caused this cerebral palsy. And and then kids didn't understand. It's kind. Of, it's almost like maybe an ignorance thing, don't you think? Or they just didn't know. And so that instead of what do people do when they're ignorant? They kind of lash out, I guess. And I, you know, I was a kid. I didn't do so much of that. I don't think. I hope not. But I, <laughs> you're just an innocent kid suffering through this. And did it build some anger within you, or uh, what? What did that do to you as far as the bullying? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, I, I, I think it it definitely manifested itself in in terms of anger, you know, and it, it was a lot of um misdirected ignorance of, of people. And like I said, there's no textbook to it, but the one thing that that always stuck out to me as a kid was I knew that I couldn't change it. I knew I really couldn't make it go away. Mm-hmm. So I just always told myself, well, I'm just going to live my life like it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do everything I can to overcome this and make everybody around me kind of not have a focal point on it. Right, right. You, you know, and it was, I was very angry. Like, I would have these crazy kind of outbursts and and not know how to deal with my emotions about it and right. I just didn't understand why what my purpose was and why you know as a kid I'm like well if there is a God then why did God make me like this yeah you know what's, what's my purpose and I was I was young I was between like five and seven, I'm like thinking like that, you know. It's, yeah, it, uh. it was very profound for me to to go through stuff like that and try to figure it out. And and my family was trying to figure it out 
at the same time. So, you know, you know it, it manifested to me in anger, and then I think that anger found an outlet when I found music. Yeah, yeah. You know, when, when I found the heavier side of music, when I got a little older and I got a hold of those Corn and Nine Inch Nails records and Nirvana type stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. really when that that anger found a purpose, found an outlet. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and I personally can relate in the sense of not having cerebral palsy, but I had my own reasons for some anger and things. I actually play the drums, by the way, and I uh, I see the music. I love throughout the film, especially at the beginning and at the end, you had some very powerful statements about music, just that it brings people together, and uh, we'll talk more about that at the end, because I remember at the, at the end of the film, uh, you said a few things about how uh, it's the most powerful and unexplainable force and things like that. And for you, it gave you this this place, like you say, an outlet to to handle this anger and this frustration and maybe depression. I don't know all the emotions, but I, I still remember in the story, I mean, you were very specific talking about kids gathered around you on the school bus and uh, beat you up, and you, you hadn't done anything. You're just a little different. And that's and that's the part that actually kind of brought me almost you know pretty much to tears, where you talk about going home and just crying and not understanding. I mean, this is it in context of day to day activities and day to day bullying that took place in your world. So, so you got and you found this music that gave you this outlet. Um, what were some of your musical influences? You go through that in, in detail in the film. But you talk at length about corn and, and even you mentioned Nine Inch Nails. What were some of your musical influences that popped up at that time? Like, when, when I was younger, I, I started out with, my grandparents raised me with, like, the country music kind of background. So, uh -huh. you know, my first, I think my first LPs I got a hold of were, like, you know, Elvis records and Johnny Cash and, and like, Prince and just old, just old stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. Michael, Michael, Michael Jackson was in that mix, and just digging through my grandparents' record collection, and then mm -hmm. when I heard the first heavy band I heard was Nine Inch Nails, I got a hold of a copy of uh, The Downward Spiral, and uh -huh. um, uh -huh. got into that. I never heard anything heavy like that before, and, and then. Uh, I love that part of it too because again, having being able to relate like I can with finding music as an outlet, that gave you something to anchor yourself in. It sounds like to me, where you 
you were kind of up in the air getting bullied and didn't understand your purpose, as you said. Uh, now, tell me a little bit about this this situation with your grandfather, because you talk at length, and there's clearly a lot of emotion attached to that, and they, they pretty much raised you or were a big part of that process. Tell me a little bit about that relationship, if you don't mind, Brandon. Yeah, I, I think, you know, because I couldn't find my own way, I think uh, and my grandparents were trying to figure out the whole disability thing, mm-hmm. just like I was as as I went along, but they didn't know how to deal with it, and, and like, they weren't really there for me in, in that regard, so, like, that's how the music and those records, it became my salvation. And and my my outlet to kind of overcome all of the emotional aspect of it, because in in regards to my grandfather, yeah, he was a very blue collar kind of dude. I mean, he worked harder than anybody I've ever known. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was very headstrong in the fact of. You know, some doctor told him that, oh, you know, he wants to play guitar, but, you know, he'll really never be capable of doing that and being successful at it. So, you know, he was just trying to protect me from going down a path of heartbreak. So he was very hard-nosed and was like, no grandson of mine will ever be a musician. And he... uh mm took away this toy guitar that I had, cut all the strings off of it, and wow. was very much like, you need to live life on my terms, and if you're going to live under my house, you're going to do what I say, and dress how I say, and act how I say, and this is the kind of person that you should be, and I was very much not that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's a somewhat common story in adolescence. Yours is obviously a very unique story for a bunch of reasons. And uh, when I think of this situation, your grandfather, you talk about the guitar, how you say he said you wouldn't be doing this. He cut the strings off the guitar, which I was kind of shocked to see that, by the way, in the film. And uh, it's kind of interesting because you didn't necessarily take that in a negative light. You took it as, sounds like from what you're saying, that he was trying to protect you and you didn't resent him necessarily, did you? Oh, no, no, I did. When I, when, when I was younger, there, there was a, a very defining moment of I'd just gotten my guitar, my grandmother had the money, the money, and I had behind his back, and I had to hide it from him in my room. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a teenager, so I got careless with it. And he was he was just getting up and, and getting getting going through the day. And I was kind of in my room, ripping around on it. And I had, I had the door open, and, you know, I was playing the best I could for the time. And he stuck his head in and stood in the doorway and goes, you'll never be a guitar player. Like, don't even try. Yeah. And he walked away and he was like, turn it down. 
Now, now, why do you and think... That was, that was the defining moment where I said, uh-huh. I'm going to do this at, at any cost. Oh, okay. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be successful. And F you, I'm going to prove to you that you're wrong and everybody else is wrong. And it was very anger-driven and there was a level of resentment there. Mm. Okay. It wasn't, you know, now, 12 years after the fact, or, you know, 15 years after the fact, it's, it's much different. I can sit back and go, you know, he wasn't trying to hurt me. He was trying to protect me, and he had reasoning behind the way that he acted, and, but back then, it was very much angsty teenager, F.U. kind of resentment. Yeah. Well, and at the same time, it's, uh, I mean, from a grandfather, I have kids myself now. You and I are close to the same age. I was born in 1980. I think you said you were born in 83 in the film. And uh, But my yeah, kids... Yeah, so we're, we're close. Yeah, we're, and so I came up with some of these same musical influences you're talking about. Uh, some of these bigger, heavier rock bands and stuff like that. And uh, but tell me about so our audience understands because and this film comes out by the way uh, was it January twenty fifth? Yeah, just in two weeks. Okay. To the oh great! Finally, and I, Seb, yeah, finally. and I'm excited for that. Yes, yes, that's exciting, and it's um, since we're on the topic of the film, and I'm going to get back to some of this guitar stuff in a second. Um, you talk about five year journey. How did this all start? So I don't want to keep you in the in the dark there while we're talking to Brandon, of course. <laughs> um, let's uh, talk about how this film kind of came together. How did that happen? Uh, so I was born in France, and I moved to Los Angeles, California, um, about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And Brendan, as he just explained, was born in uh, Illinois and moved to California around the same time that I did. Uh-huh. And within the first week of me moving across the globe by myself with just one suitcase full of clothes and CDs, uh, wow. we... Uh, we met each other at a at a corn show of all places, and you know we had a lot of things in common that I spotted right away. Like he had this huge drive; he wanted to become a musician and try to make it and try to overcome his disability. And same thing, I was trying to overcome my very thick French accent, uh-huh. and uh, I wanted to try to make it here um, in the world of entertainment in music in the capital of entertainment in the world, which is Los Angeles. Yeah. So, you know, we just uh, became friends right away, and uh, ten, 10 years deep into our friendship, after really getting to know him, um, I was like, after doing, you know, 45 music videos and countless documentaries about bands and stuff, I really want to zero in on my storytelling, and I think your life story is the most beautiful, most inspiring, 
underdog story ever. And I think my first feature doc should be about you. I'm going to follow you around for the next few years every day. You're going to have to be an open book. And I think people are going to cry when they watch the final result. It took us five years to get here today, but we're beyond grateful to be talking to you about it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And and it sounds like Sebastian, you have a little bit of an inspirational story too, coming from France. And uh, by the way, your English is uh, comes across very well. You can barely note the accent now. Uh, Thank ho- you. Hopefully, you still speak French too. You haven't been here <laughs> long enough to lose your French, of course. Uh, but so you guys came together at a corn. <laughs> you say you met at a corn show. Is that what I heard? And, and, you know, and that's one of the many reasons why we clicked and one of the many, one of the many reasons why we're so close friends because our friendship is bounded to that band. I discovered that band at the exact same age that he did and they made wow. me want to move across the globe to work for them. <laughs> and I did. I moved by myself with a suitcase full of their CDs in my suitcase because they've been the soundtrack of my life just just like they have been for him and i was like i'm going to move to california and somehow i'm gonna go on tour with them and i'm gonna be their guy i'm gonna be documenting their daily lives on the road and off the road it took me a long time to get there but i did so for the last 11 years i've been the band's um personal touring videographer and photographer which explains the you know why they are a big part of this film as well because i have a unique relationship with them so it was very easy for me to get them to open up about how special their bond with brandon is yeah yeah okay that's interesting how sometimes in life the planets kind of align that way and i don't know exactly circumstances how you cross paths with this corn show but uh somehow some way you know, Brandon's talking about in his early life not understanding his purpose and meaning and then gradually, and we're going to talk more about this in a second, but found his way into playing guitar against all odds. And we're, I want to dig deeper on that. And then all of a sudden, over time, it didn't happen overnight, obviously. We're talking some years and decades. You guys cross paths and now this film is going to be part of both of your legacy uh, by both having come into each other's lives the way you did. And I'm so grateful for me having gotten to watch and that's no exaggeration this film is so inspirational anyone listening again our podcast is called empower humans so we share people's stories Uh, i talk to authors of books and musicians and all sorts of things but it's all about empowering and the story is so empowering to me personally and i dare say to virtually anyone who has a heart which i think is most of us (laughs) uh who can watch this just to see this story. So I'm grateful that you guys crossed paths the way you describe. And um, so so you went and, and did this for a few years. And I didn't realize it took you that long. Uh, but you documented, obviously, various things in Los Angeles and uh, some obstacles, ups and downs. Um, anything else with the filmmaking process? Obviously very professional because the film comes across very professionally well-made and edited and everything else. Is there anything else you want to describe about the filmmaking process itself? 
Uh, well, like you said, we shot a lot of stuff here in Los Angeles about his current life and yeah. you know building, uh, building and rebuilding and rebuilding his band every single time the lineup would would change. Uh, but I also wanted to make a point about documenting his childhood years and and his teenage years. So you know, even though we're talking about an indie film here, meaning mm-hmm. I pretty much you know financed most of the the production myself, not the post-production, but the production itself I did. Mm-hmm. So we really made it a point to travel together back to Illinois, back to the small town that he grew up in to interview absolutely everybody over there to really get a feel for what the town was like at the time and what are the hardships that he had to overcome locally over there. So, you know, the high school teachers, his grandmother, his mother, even the mayor of the town. He didn't make the cut, but we did get him. Yeah. I, Go ahead. Uh, I think it's notable to say that uh, I think one of Sebastian's goals with, with making the film was to make people feel that by the end of the film, to get that feeling of, I really know this person. And and in hindsight, now that we're done with it, and we've done a bunch of film festivals, and a bunch of people have seen it. You know, Sebastian achieved that. People come up to me and say to me all the time that, like, I've seen your film, and now I feel like I know you. Yeah. Well, and that's the my, 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 my goal was really to immerse myself into his life. We were already best friends, so it was super easy. But I really wanted to be his shadow, so so that when the viewer watches the film, they feel like they're walking beside him or limping okay. beside him. Should I say? Yeah, yeah. I and that's the good indicator of a very well-made documentary film when you can really feel like you know these people because you dug deep here and you guys really connected with all sorts of people surrounding this story surrounding Brandon and his life and that's that's why so many of us and myself personally I'd love to sit down and hang out with Brandon take him to lunch and all that kind of stuff too because it, it really it really brings home this story and the person behind it not just, oh, this is some guy and these are the mechanics of what happened. It's the heart and the drive and the uh, obstacles and and the ups and downs that you experience. There's so many downs. That's another reason it's so inspirational because you just kept persevering. Uh, and, and so I think people connect very well with that. I encourage everyone to go find a way to watch this film. Is it, now, is it going to be in theaters or uh, what are we looking at as far as distribution? It's going to it's going to be available uh, digitally on iTunes, Amazon, and all the other digital platforms. And you can pre-order it now at mindovermatterfilm.com. Okay, mindovermatter. There's also a, a DVD option uh, via Amazon and our website, mindovermatterfilm.com, where you can actually order a hard copy if you're old school and want to have a physical product cool 
and it even features some bonus material that is not featured on the digital release. So if you are an old school collector, a person who likes to actually hold on to physical products, just like we are, because, you know, we're rock lovers and by definition rock music lovers. We, you know, we like vinyl, we like CDs, we like to holding stuff in your hands. I, I you know, I love the digital world, but obviously it's not the same. So uh, we wanted to give uh, something extra to those people uh, who like to hold on to physical products. Yeah, yeah, and that's great. And people in the music world, there's a lot of people like that, like to buy records and all that. So uh, I'm glad that's available. And obviously a lot of incentive if there's bonus material. I might go pick that up myself, to be honest, because I, I want to see some of that bonus material. So I encourage people to do that. Now, um, by the way, we're not done, even though we're talking about the film and the distribution and where they can find it. Um, but, and we'll, and we'll reiterate that at the end as well. Uh, and you guys tell me if you got to run here, I just want to cover some more of this story too, because one of the biggest kickers of the story that we haven't even touched on yet is the cerebral palsy and the, the fact that you got into the guitar, even though grandpa, you know, cut the strings and said, you know, you can't do this. Uh, there's a big, you talked about when you were a kid, your hand was basically paralyzed. Is that right? Yeah. And it's, it's very interesting to note that like my grandparents, uh, my grandmother and my grandfather were kind of like polar opposites. My, my grandfather was very much hard nosed and, and uh, kind of cold and not really supportive when it, came to things like that. I think mm-hmm. I think one of his his ideologies were was, well, I tried to play guitar when I was your age and he was inspired by like Johnny Cash and you know, he's like, I only picked it up for six months and then, you know, it went in the corner of the of the room and never picked it up again, kind of kind of classic story that you always hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandmother was, I, I kind of owe a lot of it to her because she laid the foundation of one of the things that she said to me that was very profound was, you know, God made you this way for a purpose. And that kind of always stuck with me yeah. throughout my, my journey to play the guitar was, well, maybe... I do have this disability for a purpose because I'm not completely incapacitated, but I'm not normal and by society's standards. So yeah, I was kind of in this weird gray area where I have this disability, but I have functionality to an extent. And that all kind of got me thinking of, well, maybe I can use guitars to inspire people and be a bigger voice and kind of change the way people think about others with disabilities. Yeah. So I, I just kind of dove into guitar playing and it really, it, it really, it rehabbed my hand, but it also rehabbed like my whole life because being able you know, being a musician on this level requires you to do a multitude of things beyond just playing. You gotta be able to carry yourself as 
an artist as a businessman. So, yeah, really, it's like I had to get over the physical aspect of a plan, but I also had to be able to carry myself in all other aspects of life. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you explaining that too because obviously you had a lot to overcome there. And, and it's, I love that. So I've learned in life that it's the little things that make all the difference. Like your grandmother said something about you have this for a purpose, just a few words. And it planted a seed in you that became a big driving force. It sounds like, well, maybe this is it. And at least searching for what is the purpose of this? What is my purpose as Brandon uh, in the world? And I, and I'm glad that you, found a positive purpose as far as inspiring people and proving to yourself that you could do it you know in spite of what grandpa said with the best intentions you won't do this that sounds like from what you said in the film that lit a fire in you also right yeah yeah he was a fire in me with the negativity but he was also to be accredited for one of the things he always said to me was and that's where we got the name for the film, is he always said to me, you, God didn't give you the body to be a worker like me. Hmm. So you're going to have to find another way. You're going to have to use more of your mind versus your physical body to be successful in life. And hmm. he would always say to me, it's mind over matter. If you want to do something, you just got to put your mind to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, beautiful, though. E- even though he shunned me away from music and he was a, he was a jerk to me in a, a lot of ways, he was doing it to shape me as a person. Uh, and I think he did one hell of a job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, uh, it reminds me, I was listening to a guy named Zig Ziglar. Yeah, he's an old motivational speaker. So he died in 2012, unfortunately. But he said something that stuck with me when I heard him yesterday. He said, you have to be before you do, and you have to do before you have. And so and when, your dad, when your grandfather told you uh, his mind over matter thing, I think that goes right in line with what our friend Zig Ziglar said and lots of other people. It's, there's this power in the mind and how we think. That just, uh, I think so many of us, even with this story, we don't even fully embrace and harness what that power is. Uh, but it sounds like you've obviously tapped into it enough to to be able to inspire some of the rest of us who who maybe don't have some of the same disability you have. To why are we sitting back complaining about certain other little things in our lives? Like I don't have that issue that that you've experienced in your life, and I can move my hand, and I can sit, and I can do some of these things and you had to you had to fight and fight and fight like heck to be able to 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 get to that place so i I love that mind over matter that's a great title for the film because that that just says so much to so many people no matter what you're experiencing in in the world uh you know go ahead never forget we were in a car leaving the state of illinois after spending a week there Mm -hmm. shooting all the stuff that we see in the film um, interviewing, you know, the grandmother, the mother, the high school friends, the high school teachers, and so forth, who were in a car. Yes. And his mom was driving us back to the airport so that we can go back to go back to L.A. and resume filming over there. And all of a sudden, Brendan is sitting next to me in the back seat, and he's like, 
I found the film for the I found the title for the film because he you know spending a week back there it mm-hmm. reminded him of that quote from his grandfather yes and it was just like I know the title of the film we've been working on it for years already we didn't have a, a title I know what it is it's mind over matter yeah I, I'll never forget that moment perfect title and I'm glad that uh, inspiration came to you I love it I uh now, I want to touch on a couple things from your story. I took a whole bunch of notes, by the way. I was sitting there uh, on my phone just taking uh, taking notes galore. But I wanted to tell you, or wanted you to maybe tell me, now, you went to this concert when you were young. I know we're kind of all over the map here, but I think it's okay because we're talking about all kinds of great things. When you went to this Alabama concert, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, and that, that goes back to my, my, my grandparents' musical influences and and mainly, my grandfather, we would go on these road trips to South Dakota because that's where they grew up. So mm-hmm. during the road trips, he would put these cassettes in, and it was like all these Alabama records. Uh-huh. So I, I got to know the country group Alabama pretty well. And, um, you know, I, I like them to this day. I think they write great songs and... Uh, um, the singer has a killer voice, but yeah. Um, it, when I when I was like eleven, I think my my grandmother was like, "Yeah, well, let's go see Nashville and the Grand Ole Opry and all that kind of stuff." And yeah, and the Grand Ole Opry watching that show on TV was one of the first times like I've seen a band of any kind like on stage and that really inspired me to you know all the other neighborhood kids were like you know playing hide and go seek and cops and robbers type thing and I was like I want to play Grand Ole Opry I, I wanted to be a guitar player I wanted to create that feeling of being on stage so I yeah. got to go visit there and actually walk on the, I think it's called the Rhine Auditorium yeah. stage. And uh, it just so happened while we were in town, Alabama was playing the outdoor stage at the Grand Ole Opry. And uh, we, we got to go and, and they invited the kids down uh, that had baseball caps on to... Uh, kind of get up there on stage yeah. and mind you I don't go anywhere without a hat pretty yeah. much uh-huh. and uh, I'm like so I get to go on stage with this, this band at the sold out amphitheater and it was just I remember standing next to the bass player and just kind of jaw open like <laughs> wow just feeling the energy from the crowd and yeah yeah. I remember being very positive, and I was like, this is it. I have to do this. <laughs> yeah. What do you think that did for you? I mean, uh, you talk about standing above the crowd and just feeling so great. Did uh, What did that do as far as, did that kind of light the flame for you, do you think? Because I think that's kind of the message in the film, is that that was the moment that you realized, I want to do this. This is, even though I, you know, I have this disability, or however you looked at yourself at the time, but... This sounds like a fun job. <laughs> this looks like a cool. Yeah, th- yeah, it, it very much was that. And that that entire weekend, I mean, we did, we did the outdoor concert with 
Alabama, and we, we ended up walking by the buses on the way out, and and then like um, you know, we flew in Graceland, uh, Elvis Presley's house, and back then it was much more open than it is now. Mm. And I, I remember walking through a hallway in Graceland, and mm-hmm. I don't know if it still exists, but at that time, on both sides of this hallway, from floor to ce- from floor to ceiling, were gold and platinum record plaques. Yeah, <laughs> and they were all Elvis's singles from the various different recordings he'd done, and. I remember walking out of there going, I'm going to have one of these with my name on it one day. Yeah. And I was just so enamored to, and I, I think really that's where the dream kind of started to manifest itself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's good to know. And it's funny how it's just, like we say, these little things along the way kind of build upon each other. And then you realize as you sat back as a kid getting bullied and all that, wondering what is my purpose, feeling lost maybe, feeling down and sad, and then little by little, your purpose manifests itself through concert and Graceland and this music and finding expression and finding an outlet for some of your feelings and anger in particular. Uh, Just little by little, it it came, these answers, if you will, these answers came, uh, came to you. And now... When we talk about when you first picked up a guitar, tell me about what that was like, because obviously you had some difficulty that some people don't have uh, with the cerebral palsy and some of the uh, effects of that on the left side of your body where you couldn't move your hands so well. Tell me about what that felt like when when you first picked up a guitar. When I first picked up a guitar, it was, it was, it was rough, you know. I, I wanted to make everything sound like you know, all my favorite bands like Corn and Nirvana and just, you know, all, all my other friends that were, that were players and could pick it up and, and rip out stuff and, yeah. um, you know, they were playing Metallica mix and Eric Clapton's like Cocaine and Hendrix stuff and it, it was like, here I am picking it up and just trying to make something happen. Yeah. And, um, it was frustrating because I wanted to be on the level of everybody else, and there was obviously you know, the hand being the giant roadblock uh, in in front of me, and and um, but I never let go of it. I was like, no, I'm going to make this work, and I think from very early on, I understood that. Okay, maybe I'm not going to be like Eddie Van Halen or Steve Vai, and we all know I love those guys, but there's a way for me to play this instrument that accompanies guys like that. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I I really kind of gravitated towards the rhythm side of things and the songwriting. And that's why I like bands like Nirvana and and even the guys in Corn, how they, they're a two guitar uh, partnership, but their two parts come together and it's just this one giant powerhouse. Yeah. 
so that's what kind of really inspired me. Like, okay, I'm just one one piece in the dichotomy of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. I gotta find the other guys that can accompany my ability to make this all work. Yeah. What about from a, from a mechanical standpoint? Like, explain how your hand used to be, and what were the limitations, and how you managed to, to rehabilitate it. You know, when you when you first start to play guitar, especially rock music, like, what's the first thing kids usually learn? It's like the power chord. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you drop your guitar or like drop D and, and go, okay, I can play power chords and punk rock and maybe some, like, Metallica stuff, like, and the Sandman type riffs. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so I took a step further, and it, it took me a couple of years because my hand was, I couldn't do those power chords because I just don't have, my hand was paralyzed and I have, I had very limited mobility as far as when one finger would move, they all move together as, as a group. Yeah. So that's where the kind of paralysis comes in, into play, where my strength wasn't that good and my individual mobility wasn't there. Kind of put your hand on the fretboard, elevate it off the fretboard, and, and be able to play those multi-finger power chords things and I struggled and I struggled and I struggled for years and then wow. I I just I, I linked up with um, a friend of mine who suggested that I down to the guitar to like the popular rock tuning like drop C and I, I stumbled across this article of Keith Richards talking about how, like, back in the 70s when he was doing all those various substances and uh, doing the Keith Richards we all know and love, mm -hmm. he, uh, mm -hmm. you know, he would, he would use alternate tunings on his guitars to kind of just play like the musical, but that made the light bulbs go on in my head where okay, I can alter the tuning on this guitar and that allows me to go around these three-finger chord movements and now I can do one to two-finger bar chords or flat chords. And then I can focus on songwriting, which to me was the most important, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I... Uh... I appreciate you explaining all that too, because that's something that uh, it became a creative way to find your your voice on the guitar, given your circumstances, with uh, a little less mobility in your fingers. But also, there was a time where you know you and doctors and others might have thought this guy, this this kid, may not ever be able to do much with that left hand at all, let alone play guitar. Oh, they thought I was completely out of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Here's this kid wanting, wanting to spend, you know, a thousand dollars on a guitar and another thousand dollars on an amp. And, you know, every, every kid back then wanted, 
you know, the emotional stack and, and me being influenced by the guys in the corner that was like Mason Boogie. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta have that, that triple rectifier, you know, and, and uh, you know, that stuff comes with a hefty price tag, so they thought I was out of my mind. Yeah. Well, you know what I love is how all the naysaying kind of things that happened where people said, you can't do this, you can't do that, instead of what some of us do sometimes, for the most part, you let all that become part of your inspiration. And I think that's a message to our audience, too, that when people tell you you can't, uh, let that light your fire even brighter within you for whatever you're trying to accomplish and do. Uh, and Brandon is a prime example of this because there's so many reasons you shouldn't have been able to do this in theory. I mean, I don't, I don't want to come across negative. I'm just saying there's so many reasons that it shouldn't have been able to happen, and you'd let alone go on stage and record and all these other things. And and one thing you mentioned in the film was how Monkey from Corn, uh, who's one of the guitarists, for those who don't know, uh, he had an injury himself uh, where he kind of shredded his finger. Uh, and and how did that kind of uh, become part of your story where he had that injury and that maybe inspired you? Well, it, it was very early on in, in my discovery of a band. I think that I literally found their, at least their first album and maybe their second album as well. And, um, like, you know, as a kid, you know, when I get into something, I, I go into it full force. So I got into Corn and I was very inspired by them and, you know, wanted to be them in a sense of being a kid and having this group that I looked up to like superheroes. Mm -hmm. And um, I was reading the magazine and I, 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 Monkey had mentioned the story of this injury to his index finger of how he, he cut the tip of it off completely and he went to the doctor they sewed it back on and uh, as part of the rehab process he he chose to take up the guitar yeah yeah to kind of rehabilitate his his hand and that was just all the juice I needed to go to my grandparents and be like look this guy cut his finger off uh -huh. They sewed it back on, and he's currently on tour with Megadeth. You yeah. know, opening for Dave Mustaine. And, you know, Megadeth was huge back then. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah. and I was like, you know, all five of my fingers are intact, you know. There's nothing stopping me from achieving to be, to be able to do this, you know. Yeah. So it kind of like it was kind of like I grabbed the magazine and I was like, I was like, Grandma, look, read this. They're like, this is it. Like he can do it, so can I. And so you know, I just totally grew up, and he was always and always has been my my favorite guitar player. But uh, there's another interesting side to that mm -hmm. is. He also, when he was taking guitar lessons, his teacher told him the story of Tony Iommi mm -hmm. and Black Sabbath and how 
Tony had kind of chopped his fingertips off and kept going. Yeah. Within the band, because I think at that point in Sabbath's career, they already had one or two records out. And this accident happened to, to Tony, and he's like, well, I gotta keep going. And that was, Monkey kind of went to his guy and said, you know, do you think I'm good enough? Can I do this? And he used Tony's story to inspire Monkey. Yeah. That's awesome. I love the, the chain that we're talking about because this person inspired this person and on and on. And we talk about you and you can probably inspire tons of people as well, including myself. And and I love the story also where you're taking something in Monkey's case or in your case and you're not making it into a stumbling block. You're turning it into more like a stepping stone to just move up and, and make it into something. This is my opportunity. This is my opportunity to inspire, to inspire myself and others. And also his opera Monkey's case to rehabilitate. He might not have ever gotten into guitar had he not experienced that injury. And and so that alone just like speaks volumes to some of the beautiful things that happen in this world. And I think of others, you know, you think of a guy like Rick Allen, who's a drummer for Def Leppard. He had a car accident. He lost his arm. I mean, when you think of a guy playing drums, you think of arms. I mean, that's just part of it. And he he was able to modify a drum kit setup and all that and continue to play uh, drums as well for the band. Um, but, yeah, I mean, disabilities... We need to all wake up and realize disability. In fact, people with disabilities are some of the strongest, most powerful people in our world, as far as I'm concerned. I'm learning this uh, as I become it. I wish I'd learned it younger. Because it just, you know, things evolve in our society. I wish people, and I hope now we start teaching our kids this. I'm going to be teaching my two boys. That, and I've always told them, whenever you see someone different, don't you ever be mean to them. Don't you ever hit them or say mean things. And if you see other people doing that, you do something about it. Uh, to make it right and become a you know be a friend and all that too. So I know I'm saying a lot yeah, there, you, but go ahead. You you definitely should embrace them, and and I think it's it's always been a theme throughout my life to take a negative and find a way to turn it into a positive, and use that negativity as fuel. And I think that's. Uh, a main focus of my career is to is to change that in society from the ground level of saying like like you said you teach your kids to embrace others with disabilities yeah and and we're doing the same thing in hopes of uh, well my aspiration is that maybe the next generation of kids with disabilities won't have to go through the bullying and the hardships and the outcasts and and all of the kind of mental anguish that I went through. Yeah. Because there's now a new generation of people teaching their kids and, and we're out there doing other things and killing people like, no, you should embrace these people, not put them on the outside. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more, and I and I hope this uh, expands to kind of catch fire with people with your story. And there's tons of others because there's so many. Like I say, people with disabilities can be and are so, some of the most inspirational people. I mean, you think of someone back, you think of Helen Keller and other people. Uh, 
who've had various types of disabilities, and they're some of the people that we look to most for for inspiration uh, as well. And so I would submit to you, when you think back to when you were a kid, if we could go back in our DeLorean or time machine and, and tell tell young Brandon, who's sitting there confused and sad, say, Brandon, you have this future. You have this power in you. It's in you no matter what your body situation is. The power is in you, and you've been able to uh, let that come out and express itself. And uh, I wish we could go back and, and tell that to young Brandon, but he got to just see it unfold over time, as, as you know, because you are now adult Brandon. Um, now, I, I want to touch on real quick, too. Uh, well, you t- you went because you're so inspired by these bands and Corn, I guess, was your favorite. Now, you got these tattoos also, didn't you? Which is a pretty yeah, big commitment. That was, that was part of my kind of early fandom. You know, we, like I said, when I, when I gravitate towards something, I tend to go into it 110 percent. So I was I was still inspired by Monkey and Head for doing what they do, and Monkey's particular story of overcoming his challenges. Like they they became my my rock and roll icons, my heroes, and I decided to, um, you know. It started with the logo, and then uh, I got into tattooing and being into the whole tattoo culture, and I was like, well, this is just a tattoo, and I want, like, a piece of art that people can look at and be like, wow, this is amazing. And I was like, I want to put monkey and head on my shoulders and then tie everything together as a tribute and a thank you to those two dudes for more or less shaping my life because you know, because my grandparents didn't really have a scope on how to deal with the disability like music and those records and these bands became my salvation and and Monkey and Head particularly became the two dudes that I always looked up to. Yeah. And I current current guidelines, you know, like, okay, this is what they do, so kind of walk in my footsteps. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And that must have been and we can everyone can see that in the film too. Um, we're not going to give away everything. I mean, I could sit, literally, I could probably sit and talk with you guys for five hours, and I'd love to, actually. But maybe one of these days, I might be back in Los Angeles, too, and we can uh, sit down and, and chat as friends. And I wanted to say, too, that I listened to this music at length. I listened to all of it. You guys have an EP out. I listened on Spotify and stuff, and also in the film. Very, very powerful music. And I realize everyone who might listen to our podcast may not be into that kind of music. Not everyone's into everything. But uh, you have to be into the story no matter what. <laughs> and uh, the, But the music, excellent musicianship. I mean, you guys won uh, in first, second place in a couple Battle of the Bands, it sounds like. And excellent uh, vocals, excellent. The bass of the guitars sound excellent. The drums, uh, amazing drummer. And uh, so I just want to give you props as a fellow musician that I hear this band and I hear some real power there and some real creativity and a positive message on top of that. You have songs like Seize the Day and The Answer, which I think one of the lyrics is 
telling people you aren't alone, which is something we tell our audience frequently. We always tell people you are priceless and you are never alone. And so I think we kind of uh, cross paths a little bit in some of what we're expressing that way. But I want to tell you that the music is just <laughs> incredible, Brandon. And uh, th- this isn't just some kid just kind of trying to play guitar. You're actually playing some some strong, powerful music. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's uh, a lot of that could be attested to uh, my my band members and and our great producer Chris Collier, um, who can really take my. Um, my struggles and, and my riffs and kind of uh, help me produce them and, and, and form them into uh, killer modern rock, active rock songs that people can relate to and uh, really have something to take away from the music, just aside from just being a heavy band and, and playing heavy music. I, I wanted everything that we do to resonate with people on a personal level. Yeah, yeah. And gosh, I could I wish I could talk about so much that's in this movie. Um I mean, one of the things too um it, on top of the beautiful awesome story and the music which is incredible is you were living in Los Angeles and uh sounds like you're there now too, but they you didn't have driver's license. You had to walk all over town. Uh, also, as part of building this music career and becoming kind of a uh, an assistant and working for free to kind of prove yourself in the LA scene, <laughs> and I and I and for those who don't know, I mean, and you go over this at length in the film that with your cerebral palsy, that created its own set of challenges because you have with your left foot in particular, you have s- some issues uh, there. What was going through your mind with that? And why weren't you taking the bus, by the way, Brandon? For crying out loud. <laughs> That's that's my own kind of kind of ignorance, and it took me about it took me about six months to a year of being in LA to figure out. Okay, well, uh, the bus, like, because I I I came from small town Illinois. Yeah, yeah, of like, course. I grew up in a, I grew up in a trailer park, so I basically came from nothing, and uh, decided to. Uh, land in Los Angeles and and pursue my dream, but in my hometown we never had anything like that. Public transit and buses, and and I, I really didn't understand mm-hmm. geographical layout of of Los Angeles when I first kind of landed there and, and said I'm not just here for a vacation like I originally intended. I intended mm-hmm. to stay, so. In choosing to stay, I then had to figure out the logistics of, okay, this town is here, this bus goes here, I can get here this way, and it's like they have buses and they have subway. I I've never been, um, I've never been exposed to that before, and uh, you know, to put it lightly, lightly, it was super overwhelming to me at first. Sure, and that's why it. In my brain, logically, it's like, well, just walk to what you can get to. But eventually, I figured it out, and, you know, yeah. I think my, my foot kind of pushed for that change because with the more walking I did, the more pain I was in, and, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, it became very apparent. Uh, the guy I was living with at the time, my roommate was like, I'd come home and my, my foot would be like draining fluid and he's like, dude, you got some serious stuff. 
stuff going on that you need to to go have looked at, and that kind of started, you know, the set of surgeries I I had in L.A. and um, and the story rolls on from there, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's just all still part of the inspiration of the story because you come from small town. A lot of people come to L.A. Most people come with some sort of dream, really. And uh, and a big city is different life than what like you described. Living in Illinois, it's not. There's no buses. There's <laughs> there's probably hardly any traffic. <laughs> and then you go L.A. is just night and day, isn't it? Um, I yeah, it was every, it, it was everything. It was complete culture shock. He was a small town person, and at that time I had a very small town person, uh, small town personality, and small town way of thinking. And it was like, uh, if you want to survive here, you have to quickly learn to adapt to the locals. And it's like, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, or when in LA, do as the Los, Los Angeles do, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's uh, there's a lot more in this. There you go. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a different thing coming to LA. I did it myself, and I'm going back there here soon too. But um, there there's a lot to be said. There's some things about Warp Tour. There's some things about how you got on with Universal Music and AfterShock Festival. We're not going to give it all away, but when people watch this film. I guarantee a lot of people are going to be in tears and at the very least inspired if they have any sort of heart or soul. And again, most people do. So I guarantee you're going to have tons of people contacting you about this. And uh, I just I want to kind of wrap up with some things. Uh, and if there's anything else you guys want to cover, if this reminds me too. Uh, we just posted the other day on our Instagram uh, a quote from uh, from Thoreau. He said, "Don't go where the path may lead." but to where there's no path and leave a trail. And I thought, well, that's, uh, I didn't think about that in light of this interview until uh, earlier today. I was like, wow, that's kind of in line with what we're doing with this interview because you kind of blazed your own trail here as this kid who was bullied with cerebral palsy and a lot of naysayers, including within your own family, and you overcame so much. And uh, you talk about taking a couple years just to get some of these chords down which for some people playing guitar, they're like, wow, I can't even imagine that because they, they were born without some of the limitations you were, and it, was, it just probably came a little easier. They didn't have the, the disability. Uh, but now, now the band is called The Mendenhall Experiment. Tell me why it's called that real quick. Oh, well, I, I mean, that, that kind of goes back to um, my friends in corn and in, in particular uh, Monkey's. You know, and and that that struggle to learn the guitar, like you were just talking about, taking two or three years to get over the get through the functionality of playing these chords, and and I I was in LA, I remember for almost three years, I think at the the time the time frame that I I landed. Backstage the recording show and was able to have a meeting with Monkey and and have an in depth conversation and that was yeah. kind of the I was in a very dark place in my life and I kind of spilled it all out to him and said, you know, this isn't really working for me. I came to Los Angeles with this 
dream of being a guitar player and musician, and um, I kind of got wrapped up in the partying lifestyle of Hollywood, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, I couldn't really find my way around the guitar, and I couldn't find, uh, I was struggling to find musicians to join me in my quest uh-huh. to yeah. do this band, and it's like, LA is very much like, you want to be in a band, you go on Craigslist, you find musicians, and a lot of people just join pre-existing projects, and in doing that, you have to learn a whole catalog of songs, but because my playing style was so unique, they're like, you can't play this, and you can't play these leads, and you can't do these chords, it's like, best of luck to your friend, but uh, on to the next. Yeah. So I told all this to Monkey, and he said a couple of things to me, man. He he basically said, like, I needed to, to clean myself up and be more focused, and then I should, um, you know, make my own band mm. and, and build a band around my, my capabilities and the way that I play and my playing style. And he goes, if you can't, if you can't find a band to join, then just do it yourself. And that was, that was the key point that I took away from the conversation. And I gave him that guitar that night and that, the attention that came from that and it really inspired me and kind of relit that fire that I had in the beginning and, and the hope to go, okay, maybe, I, maybe he's right. I need to realign some things and, and give this thing one more shot. Because I was about to quit everything. Yeah. I, I was, I was going to give up music, and uh, I was definitely on the path to problems with suicide at that point. <laughs> mm. Well, I'm so glad... It, it was kind of like... The end of my rope conversation. Like, what what do I do here? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's crazy how sometimes you get right there to the end uh, of desperation, whatever that might be, whether people are in a financial, in your case, with some disability and other struggles there. Um, and to all the rest in L.A., don't get lost in that party scene. There's a <laughs> it's easy to get in L.A. and pursue something and then also get lost in that party scene. But I'm glad that, that Monkey helped steer you on the right path and you got to... Uh, hooked up here with Sebastian to put this film together. Again, we could go on and on. I don't want to give away too much in the film, but uh, again, Mind Over Matter is the film. January 25th, 2019 is the magical day that everyone can uh, sink their teeth into this film through Amazon Music and all these other uh, distributions. You're talking Not Amazon Music. Uh, Amazon uh, Prime Video, sounds like. Is that where it's going to be? Uh, iTunes? Where are we all going to get access to it? You can pre-order now at mindovermatterfilm.com and you can either uh, purchase it digitally via iTunes or the physical copy via Amazon or get one of our uh, very cool bundles through the website itself. Okay. Mindovermatterfilm.com. The band is The Mendenhall Experiment. Uh, Excellent music. You can listen to it on Spotify and and find it through other ways, I'm sure, as well. And... uh, Love you guys. Let's stay in touch here. And uh, I want to, 
I want to just uh, kind of again wrap up by just saying this <laughs> film is gonna knock your socks off. It's just an uh, incredible story and uh, very very inspirational. And what anything else you guys want to go over? I know this film has won some awards, very great uh, reviews as well. Anything else you want to go over before we wrap up, my friends? Yeah, we spent the, the major part of 2018 traveling for, uh, across the country and even around the world, uh, doing many screenings and participating in many um prestigious film festivals throughout the U.S., like uh, the Benton Zilton Festival in Arkansas, Dark L.A. in Los Angeles, um, Rita Beattie's in New York, you name it. And uh, we won uh, numerous prestigious awards along the way, Audience Choice Award, Best Writing, Best Directing, you, you name it. And our journey took us all the way to Moscow, Russia, wow. on Thanksgiving weekend to screen at the uh, International Disability Film Festival there in beautiful Moscow, Moscow, Russia. Wow. And, uh, you know, we had a great time over there. It was snowing as we were walking through Red Square, like yeah. pretty incredible, especially coming from, you know, a guy born with nothing in a trailer park in a small town in Illinois who had to get a passport made for the first time to go to Russia to go screen this film because he had never left the United States his, yeah, his, yeah. his entire <laughs> life. That's powerful right there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess my point is that we spent an entire year on the road screening at those film festivals and the reaction every time is just breathtaking. People, you know, grab us in, in the lobby afterwards and they just want to chat with us and, you yeah. know, express how touched they, they were uh, for that hour and a half in that theater and how inspired they are uh, yeah. thanks to Brandon's journey. So we can't wait to now share the, this unique film with the entire world on the 25th. Yeah, I'm so glad. And, and I, Go ahead. I think it's interesting to note throughout this entire filming process, Sebastian and I have, have, uh, have kind of noticed all of these full circle moments and this kind of universal affirmation that, you know, this is a path that we we should be on right now. We're doing the right thing and we're making the right choices by making this film and, and it is affecting people and it is working, it is touching people and mm -hmm. inspiring people the way that we originally intended because that's the that's the main goal behind this film and, and my band is to go out there and kind of be a voice for social change and inspire people um to overcome anything in their lives. And I'm I'm so grateful to Sebastian and, and the guys in Corn and the staff at Sumerian Records and uh, the people over at Monster Energy and Ibanez Guitars and PV and all these companies that have stood behind me, EMG pickups, um, you know, everybody that has come together to embrace my band and, and this movie and, and really what we're trying to do here. Mm -hmm. I'm eternally grateful to all those people. Yeah, and I'm so grateful and, you know, at, for, for you. At the end of the day, what we <laughs> wanted to do with this film was to 
Empower Humans. And for us to be on the Empower Humans podcast right now, that's another <laughs> great full circle moment as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate that too. And it's it's a privilege of ours, a privilege to be able to view this film. Again, I encourage everyone, mindovermatterfilm.com. I'm grateful you two have been able to not only rich e enrich each other's lives through this filmmaking process and each other's uh, stories and the dynamic you brought to the table, but enrich all the rest of our lives too. So uh, continue forward, Brandon. You found your place and your purpose. Just keep uh, going forward. And uh, we look forward to maybe more things, more music and other uh, material coming out from you. Def definitely. We just completed uh, two back-to-back uh, -back national tours. We did one in September, October with uh, Flaw and Slime with the Soul, and then we just wrapped up one in November, December with Co-op, which is Alice Cooper's son, Dash, and Slime with the Soul headlines that run as well. Um, so in the coming months of 2019, you'll see uh, new music from us, for sure, and a whole lot more touring. Awesome. That's what I love to do. I love to be up there on stage and playing and bringing my music and my message to to everyone. So uh, we're definitely here to stay. Yeah, that's great. Future's bright, my friend. Go watch this film, everybody listening, mindovermatterfilm.com and the Mendenhall Experiment. And uh, until next time, for our audience, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.